I don't even know who to thank, but what a beautiful gift this individual has given me of a second chance and allowed my children not to be robbed by a lifetime spent with their dad. Hello, everyone. It's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast. So this podcast is about love and liberation, and it's about finding your complete expression, your connection to source and self and the earth. Uh, You're living in this body free of shame and in complete joy and living out your dharma as the unfoldment of your spirit and soul, how to have better relationships, how to heal, and how to connect. And I'm happy to say that about 35% of you now are male-bodied listeners, which means I might have to change the name at some point. Uh, but the rose part is really about rising into this awareness of your fullness and your wholeness. And you know, I've done a bunch of episodes on trauma healing, on collective trauma. And today I am doing an interview with a very special man, Justin Laprie, who founded something called Heroic Path to Light that helps veterans of combat and first responders uh, deal with some of the incredible overhangs of going into combat situations. Ways we are violent are transgenerational transmissions, like we've inherited that from the culture and from our family systems, and it can stop with us. That might seem idealistic, but, you know, I I think there's such a thing as idealism shaming, and somebody has to hold the vision for a world that's more creative, more sustainable, more interconnected, and much less violent. And in fact, there are some books like Steven Pinker's book that asserts we're getting less violent all the time, but that we see more of it on a global scale. So the shocks and outrages of the entire world arrive at our doorstep unbidden uh, through media and through social media. So today, I want to introduce you to Justin, and I'll let you know ahead of time that the story he's about to tell is definitely tear-summoning. We both choked up in preparing this episode. Justin has employed a non-traditional pathway to healing, which you all know by now if you've been listening that I'm a fan of, and that is psychedelic-assisted therapies for trauma. I'm also a fan of psychedelic-assisted therapies for expanding consciousness beyond a highly traumatized person to the minor traumas that might allow us to stop the repetition compulsion uh, for unhealed and unfelt things in family systems. So not just for trauma. I think actually the idea that you are only entitled to healing to get to a baseline but not to get to full expression is kind of an inheritance of Uh, Calvinist inheritance, you know, that you can only have so much pleasure or so much joy or so much actualization in a body that uh, the job is just to come to some kind of semi-tolerable baseline. I am a member of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Science. I do a lot of research in order to bring you a guest, and this particular one came highly recommended, and I'm so excited to tell you that the therapies that he's preparing are legal. Uh, They are state-sanctioned in the state of Texas as a church, and that they work. And I will tell you also that this is going to be a fundraising pitch. So at the end of this episode, I hope you reach into your pocketbook and make a donation to Heroic Path to Light. Uh, Because I'm in a position with Rosebud and Radiant Farms to do some inducements, if you make a $200 donation to Heroic Path to Light, we will send you a gift. And if you make a $500 donation, I'll send you a gift box that's including the Rosebud products and some Radiant Farms products and things from six other brands that are aligned with us. So enjoy this story, be inspired, and know that no matter where you are, you can recover and that there are many allies out there, people and plants, to help you do it. I start by asking Justin about his own story. How I was brought into this work is pure desperation. I was in a mental health system in the VA that had failed me. Uh, At the time, I was 13 years in, over-medicated, misdiagnosed, uh, for 13 years and on 13 medications. Some of those I had extreme difficulty with, uh, with abuse, uh, really Oxycontin. This is back in the early 2000s. If you've seen the docuseries Painkiller, it's worth a watch. I used that once the pain stopped externally. I, uh, I had internal pain, so I used oxys to 
keep myself numb so I didn't feel it. And a very challenging time for me um, after I got back from the Middle East in 2005. Uh, and, and the one thing I was missing that I left is community. And uh, growing up in an abusive household, I wasn't close with my family. And um, I had just left the one family that I knew. And that was the my unit in the Marine Corps. When I left, I lost my identity and I lost my purpose. I had extreme survivor's guilt, a traumatic brain injury, PTS. I didn't know that I was suffering from all of these things yet um, because uh, I was I was still going through the VA system. But this is what I would learn uh, were my new my new identities uh, that I was able to relate to. Um, and I, I related to being sick. I trusted my doctors uh, and I listened to them and I took the medications uh, and I started to re, you know, become further distant from who I truly was. And I started to lose sight of who I was and what I was doing. That was a very difficult experience for me because it affected every aspect of my life. In 2006, I moved up to New York City uh, where I spent a year homeless. Um, I, six months of that was begging for hope on street corners. Uh, and then the, the second half of that year was in a halfway house for veterans with substance abuse. I was drinking myself to sleep, you know, at night because I didn't want to have my night terrors and flashbacks. So I tried to numb everything and suppress everything that I was going to feel because I didn't want to feel it. And that affected relationships I was in that spilled over into my career and how I was navigating through life. Um, I call the period of 2006 to 2018, my gray space. It was a period of time to where I self-medicated. I was in toxic relationships. I was in many relationships. I just needed to feel something. So I turned to a lot of unhealthy vices uh, in order to feel something. Yeah. Or unhealthy, but helpful adaptations, like responses, intelligent adaptations to a situation that you're overwhelmed your organism. You know, I feel like there's this this piece of when you say trauma, traumatic brain injury, survivor's guilt, the loneliness, loss of identity, all of that stuff, that that is a pretty common set of occurrences for veterans. Like, I, I think there's a there's sort of a, a weird thing is like, oh, my God, you're a Marine. You should never you should never have these weaknesses. And that a lot of times people seem to even hold what the aftermath of combat or deployment is to themselves. Like they hold it secret because there's even like a shame of identifying with that. You know, you're absolutely right. We're not taught how to identify with that. We're not taught how to feel these emotions. And so when we're in combat, we suppress them and we don't feel them there's not a time for us to feel them. And then all these emotions start to come out as we separate from the military. Just to backtrack a little bit, after I got out of the, the homeless shelter, um, I had a short stint, eight years on Wall Street, uh, and, I, and I wasn't finding my purpose. And I was still looking for, I was still looking for who I was to become, uh, what my purpose was here on this earth. And and so I left finance in 2013 and I moved back to Austin, Texas, uh, where I became a firefighter with the city of Austin. And I wanted to get back to service. Uh, that, that is something that I've always been called to do. And I have to, I have to make mention of this because a lot of times first responders get left in the shadows with the push for veteran mental health uh, in this country. And I applaud the veteran initiative um, that's happening right now in this new renaissance. But I want to make sure that we don't forget about our local heroes that are in the battlefield every every shift. And my my experiences as a first responder in a downtown city like Austin, I was exposed to traumatic events every time I put on the uniform. And it's trauma, trauma, trauma. You go back to the station, trauma, trauma, trauma. You go home. You can't talk to your kids. Trauma, trauma, trauma. You're in a fight with your wife. And it's it, it really is a death of a thousand cuts. And the culture in the first responder uh, career field is suppressed. And we, it's, we, can't, we don't feel safe to talk about our feelings. It's a very machismo 
type of attitude and it costs people their lives and it costs people their relationships and their marriages. And this is where I was at from, you know, 2017, uh, when I first got on the department and I, in 2018, September, 2018, I was, I started going through a, a divorce. I had a four and one year old at the time. I wanted not to feel pain anymore. And, you know, going through a divorce is a very isolating, lonely experience uh, where every part of your life is being looked at under a microscope and, and uh, decisions that you've made or diagnoses that you have are being weaponized in the court system to be used against you to benefit another party. And it was very difficult for me. Um, and I didn't have anybody that I felt comfortable talking to, even at my own fire station, because why do you want to be the, the Debbie Downer on the crew? And so this led me to Veterans Day of uh, 2018. I just got out of a call where a young girl had passed away. I got back to the station and I walked out to my, my truck in the parking lot. And I've always carried a SIG 45. It's the a, a same weapon that I carried in Iraq. And it sits under my, my steering wheel. And I just sat there and I put it on my lap. And I, I had already premeditated this moment. So I had a letter that was written to my one and four-year-old uh, that was going to be opened on their 18th birthday. And uh, it, was, it was my last letter. It was explaining to them why I had to cut our time short in a very loving dad-like explanation. And it sat on my, it sat on my center console as I became aware at what I was to do over the next couple minutes. And I was an atheist at the time. Um, even though growing up in the Catholic church and going to private school most of my life, I, I lost sight of God uh, during war. And uh, I was an atheist at this time. And, but I prayed one last time for peace through death. And I put that 45 in my mouth and I pulled the trigger. And I remember hearing the, the hammer, the hammer drop. And then there was silence and, I, I blinked open my eyes and I was, I just, I just screamed and I could not believe that I was still here. So I, I dropped the magazine. It was empty. I racked back the chamber. It was empty. I was completely overwhelmed with anxiety. I, I vomited in my lap and I couldn't understand why I couldn't even succeed at killing myself. And what had happened is somebody on my fire crew or in my immediate circle had seen me spiraling out for probably months uh, and unloaded my weapon without my knowledge. And so when I went to pull the trigger, it was already empty. And so today I still do not know who that person is almost five years to the day. Um, and so I have the, I don't even know who to thank, but what a beautiful gift this individual has given me of a second chance and allowed my children not to be robbed by a lifetime spent with their dad. And my son now gets to learn how to play catch with me. My daughter will get to have me walk her down the aisle. And so it really is the most beautiful gift that somebody could ever give somebody as a second chance, which has led me into the work that I'm doing now. I'm sorry. I want to ask you a question, but I'm crying, so just gonna have to hold on. <laughs> oh no! Thank you. All good. I mean, there's so many places to pick it up. Like, I think there's the the piece about recognizing the first responders, for example, and I want to include uh, prison guards in that. Their suicide rate is super high. Absolutely. Yep. This piece of the skills to like trauma isn't a product of what happens it's a product of how you can pass it through you or not and that the um, the emotional skills of being able to experience something and then like shake it off and keep going are different than it hits you and you just repel it you like go into a state of shock and so that i, I think we could pull up on that and then i lost sight of god in war 
and this last prayer and whether it was a you know an actual person or like angels in the architecture experience that that someone that prevented you just to take a moment and acknowledge the uh, grace of that mm-hmm. you know Agreed. beautiful thank you and and yeah good for your good for your babies man that's right and for all the people that you've touched so so you're at this moment of sitting there it fails you're throwing up in your lap and all of a sudden you get what how do you get invited into an entheogenic or post traumatic uh for treatment for this how did that happen so i was i was given a book how to change your mind by michael Pollan. oh yeah 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 michael's book at, at the end of november of 2018 it was a couple of weeks after this attempt and i read it in a week i i was absolutely desperate uh i didn't I didn't know where to go. I wasn't going to go to my therapist because they were just going to give me more medications. Um, and so it opened up a path of hope for me. And I, I became pretty obsessed with learning more about uh, psychedelic medicines and the treatment of some of the same issues that I was suffering from with those, with those compounds. And so I was a straight laced fireman. I was I was very scared to even have these conversations with people that I worked with, uh, so I I had asked a friend uh, on where I could source uh, Psilocybe cubensis magic mushrooms, and he had introduced me to a to a gentleman by the name of Jacob Boone. Um, I say his name today because uh, we lost him to suicide this past January, and has really really affect, affected me on a on a very emotional level. Uh, due to the fact that he was a major catalyst in in saving my life, and but you just never know who's struggling, right? Because nobody talks about it. Jacob gave me my first ounce of mushrooms, and um, I was uh, pretty deep in the knowledge of how Johns Hopkins University was running clinical trials, and so I replicated it. The only thing I did not have was somebody there with me, so mm. I was I was I I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was very afraid of of letting people know what I was doing at the time, um, so this is not advisable to all our listeners. Um, but this was pure desperation, and I knew that if it worked, then it was going to save my life. And I knew if it didn't work, then I was going to watch myself load the magazine the second time. And so I I put on a eye mask and I laid down on my bed. I was in an apartment at my time at the time. And I put on a, a playlist that was curated by the research department at Johns Hopkins University for their psychedelic research center. And uh, I hit play and I took three and a half grams that first experience in December of 2018. <clears throat> and, okay, brother. Yeah. It, you know, wow. I, I needed to see if this was going to work or not. I mean, just for the record, for people who don't have a frame of reference, like gram is a good, good, nice day, daytime trip. That's right. And, Five grams is what um, Terrence McKenna would call as the heroic dose. Yeah, and and why can't I think of his name Stamets? What is what Paul, Paul Stamets, Stamets yep. uh, talks about in his, in the Fantastic Fungi movie? And so you really like you went right for it on your first try. I did. I and and this was pure desperation. I didn't have I didn't have time to tiptoe and start with a half gram or gram. I really needed to have a immediate intervention. Uh, in my suicide ideations that I was fearing were going to become an active plan again. And so during this this six-hour experience, I relived, you know, childhood traumas that I had forgotten about uh, since my traumatic brain injury. Um, I, I was able to see through the lens of my father, uh, who... I had a very estranged relationship from who was very abusive during my childhood and understand his trauma. I was able to relive experiences during the war, but actually this time I was able to feel all those uh, emotions uh, that I suppressed during firefights and during the loss of friends over there. And so I was able to relive, relive all of this and it was extremely terrifying for me and and painful for me to relive some of these memories, but it was allowed it allowed me to reframe and to feel these experiences for the first time 
And through feeling these experiences, I was able to move, from, move, move on from them. And they no longer controlled me. They were just part of my story and, and situations as, that I was a part of. Uh, but it didn't make up who I am. And so I came out of this experience six hours later, and I was just, I was just, I couldn't stop crying. And this was the first time that I had cried in my conscious memory. I was always told, you know, from my father not to cry. Suck it up. Don't cry. And then you don't cry in the military. And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't cry as a, as a firefighter. And so this was the first time that I cried. And I cried for hours. And uh, it was a beautiful, I, I, I felt like if a thousand pounds were in a ruck pack on my back, that it had been lifted. And I felt this elephant just sit off my chest and I was able to breathe. And I filled this void with love for myself for the first time in my life. And it, it just clicked that, well, if I could love myself, then just maybe I could properly love somebody else. That was my first experience with mushrooms, and I started to work with mushrooms twice a month for the next couple of years. And I started to, you know, stair step a half a gram at a time to where I settled in on my therapeutic dose of six grams of, of psilocybe cubensis. And this is, I was doing this in the underground um, as an active firefighter, but I was starting to talk about it at this time at the fire station. Because in, in, the, in the period of 2005 to this past January of uh, 2023, I've lost 15 dear friends to suicide. Those are families that are forever traumatized, forever changed. And it's because they didn't have access to this knowledge, didn't have access to these medicines to get down to the root cause instead of, you know, that going to the VA or your doctor and throwing a pill at the problem and not finding a solution for the problem. Yeah. Can I ask you what happened with your addictions? Yes. So the only thing that I was truly addicted to, I take that back. Um, I think I had other addictions looking back on that in terms of uh, sex, uh, drugs, alcohol. Uh, the thing that really kind of grabbed me from the inside was my addiction to, to Oxy's. Um, that was, that, that was the one, that was the one addiction that I, that I had a really difficult time at, at, um, at kicking. Um, but I have not taken a pharmaceutical since 2018 from that very first psilocybin experience. So I don't drink to suppress. I, I rarely drink now, um, a glass of wine with my wife every now and then. But other than that, uh, I have, I have filled my life with, uh, very healthy habits but I say that to say this, I have a lot of gratitude for my unhealthy habits uh, that kept me alive and, uh, and, and, and got me through the darkness. So um, I can't forget about those. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I, I ask you in part about that. My, uh, someone very close to me drank for 13 years and they did one month of microdosing with psilocybin and haven't had a drink in three years. Beautiful. There's a lot of really amazing research coming out on what's going on in the brain and the rewiring that happens when you have that self-love moment. Um, so I just want to point out to anyone who's listening that all the things that Justin's talking about have deep research studies behind them, uh, numbers that are aggregated across uh, university-based studies. And, and so his experience, which is so moving, and we're going to talk about what he did with that in a minute, is backed up by similar experiences of thousands, um, as well as many narratives from the underground that haven't been documented. Because unfortunately, cognitive liberty isn't a thing yet, where you can you can do what Michael Pollan was saying: change your change your mind and play with these substances that have co-evolved with humans to deal with things like PTSD and depression, um, which are natural, you know, natural responses to life. Okay, so you you. Do this and tell me how you move from you're talking about a little bit to the point and you're and all this loss is happening around you. 
How do you move from that to just saying, you know what, I'm going to form an organization that does this and I'm going to tell people about it. I'm going to put it on the web. Right. (laughs) That's a great question. And how did your firefighter, you know, your city employer of Austin or whatever, how did they respond to that? No, I mean, you don't have to, whatever piece you want to talk about. Of course, I can talk about it all, right? We're, We're here. Let's have some fun. So I had the awareness now because my trauma loop had been severed, right? I wasn't playing the victim. Uh, these these were just experiences that happened to me. They weren't, uh, it, it is not something that I identified with anymore. And because of this, I had the, the realization that the fire service no longer served me and I needed to find an exit plan. Um, I was, I was really, I was, I was over having sad days. I was over having, you know, being surrounded by death. And I just wanted to be able to help my friends and my family stop suffering and never get to the point of even thinking about putting that barrel in their mouth. I I remember walking into the pension office and this was in January of 2022. Um, I had just got out of the Ibogaine treatment. Uh, which is an alkaloid from the African shrub, the iboga shrub. I walked into the pension office and I, I spoke to the advisor and I go, so if I can get to 10 years, which was another four years at the time, I was in for just about six years, how much am I going to be able to bring in uh, for retirement? And uh, they they wrote a number down on the on a piece of paper. It was two grand a month. I'm like, uh, my, my <laughs> you've made you've made up my mind for me here. I would like to uh, start going through the process of exiting pre-pension. So I, I took the $40,000 that I had in contributions in my pension and I, I cashed that out. I paid taxes on it and I put it in a separate account. And during a six gram psilocybin experience that I had in February of 2022, a pathway was illuminated that showed me what my next chapter was going to look like and what I was going to create. And a name kept popping up and it was Heroic Path to Light. And I didn't, I didn't know much from that, uh, but I, I reflected on that and journaled about it for a few weeks. Uh, and then I, I brought over a small group of entrusted friends and advisors over to my house here in Bee Cave, Texas. And I brought out a big whiteboard and I said, everybody just be patient with me. I have some things that I want to write down and I want to get some feedback. And I mapped out this entire vision that was shown to me on my mushroom journey. It was really a community. And how I got to that point is I wasn't special forces in the military. And there's a lot of foundations doing a lot of great things in this country that are sending special forces veterans out of the country to receive treatments with psychedelic medicines because outside of the country, they're not schedule one compounds. I wasn't special forces and these retreats are five, six, $10,000 to go on. And as a firefighter, I was not able to do it. So this is why I had to do this myself. So I wanted to create an organization that can serve these medicines here in America legally. And I was able to do that by creating um, a religious institution, which we created as Heroic Path to Light, which is a sanctuary, and serve medicines that outside of the sanctuary are still Schedule One compounds, but inside the sanctuary, they're sacraments, and they're legal for us to use as such. And this language goes into the First Amendment of the Constitution. There's additional language in the 1993 uh, Religious Freedom and Restoration Act. And then the great state of Texas has additional language to further protect individuals, Texans, and in practicing their religious freedoms. And the government not being able to take a stance or interrupt such practice. And so my team of lawyers and I spent the next couple months at creating our bylaws, our constitution, doing something that had not been done above ground yet. Yeah. I thinking the the San, like the Santo Daimi church set a precedent for that. 
you know, and, and they were embattled for that, that they serve the sacrament of ayahuasca. And the Native American church, they served the sacraments around peyote. And that, you know, this is such an ancient traditions. So I'm really, I mean, this is very intense that you got this through and approved and articulated. Plus, I bet it had to force you into a process of defining safe containers and rituals and ceremonies so that you would get what you might have had an assist or presence in your first journey, who knows what would have happened if it would have accelerated it or not. Okay, so you do this, and Heroic Path to Light is now a Texas church? It's Yes, it's incorporated as a church in the state of Texas. To your point on the Santa Dime Church, the only reason that they uh, came out above ground is because of the fact that the DEA took them to court, right? And they, they, they successfully won. And because of this, the DEA now sanctions them as a, a official entheogenic psychedelic uh, church in, in, in America. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for those experiences um, having have happened so individuals can prove their right to practice their religious and spiritual practices as they seem fit. Because the, the, the burden of proof on the DEA and the federal government to prove that this isn't a religious and spiritual practice has not been successfully done by uh, by the federal government. And so, you know, when we look at these medicines being used in this con- context for 5,000 plus years, it raises the question as to why do they not want us to commune with these medicines here in this country? And you saw this suppression happen in 1970 when President Nixon brought out the Controlled Substance Act, when we had a bunch of free th- thinkers that were experimenting with expansion of consciousness. I think the important thing about working with these medicines is intention and harm reduction and safe practices and education. You can really have a challenging experience if you do not have guidance um, using these these medicines. So I, I would like everybody to be their own agent. Uh, and if you're curious about using any of these medicines, please reach out to somebody who has knowledge. Uh, these aren't these these are very powerful ancient substances that have been used for a very long time, and they need to be uh, treated with reverence uh, and a sense of sacredness. And that's really where I wanted to build this organization. I wanted to take ancient wisdom that has been, you know, that has been been shared in other parts of the world for thousands and thousands of years. And I wanted to intersect it with modern science. And I wanted to build the most comprehensive program that existed. And I was not going to stop short of creating the gold standard. And and you're making Making it affordable and accessible to regular service people, first responders. It's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. What do you mean it's free? The whole thing's free, guys. <laughs> the whole thing's free. Here, here's where we get into our fundraising pitch, people, because you know that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. It's Veterans Day. Come on. Yes. I want you to get your wallets ready because it's free. <laughs> so as you know, I have, a, I have a soft spot for service members of this country and service members of our community and their families. I've worn I both just, of those just, uniforms. Just, just pause right there, man. You go do this model this right now. You just like feel it, feel it now. So it doesn't like land in, you know, just crazy world that doesn't honor that emotion as it arises. I got nothing to say that that would be more important than the moment of you feeling your shit as it comes up. Yeah, thank you for that, Christine. Or your joy. I, um, I couldn't afford to, uh, to heal myself. It's very cost prohibitive. Uh, leaving the country, I didn't feel safe. What firefighter has six, ten grand to go get help? It was very hard for me. Uh, so, since the beginning, I have built in the fabric of this organization that if you serve this country or serve this community or a family member of one of those individuals that did, it is our turn to serve you, and that we, you do not have to pay to heal yourself. And that's what we've done since the beginning. Uh, we have we have put fifty five people through um, this 25 week program uh, at no cost to them. I have hundreds of people on our wait list that are awaiting treatment. 
Now, people are offered the opportunity to pay if they if they do have a different life and 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 have financial space to come on this program. They are invited to self-pay or to fundraise to cover their share. And that would that would free up the resources for the healing grants for those that truly cannot, which is a big big percentage of veterans active duty and service members within our our EMS police and fire communities out there i mean it's a, it's it's a lot of money so what is your cost to deliver the service what are you trying to cover with each participant for sure so it's a 25 week program so that's 8 weeks of preparation with a trauma therapist a psychologist and our integration staff that's a week long in person retreat that's a 16 week integration program so another 8 weeks of calls with our integration team to include our trauma therapist, an accountability group with the rest of the cohort, and then an eight-week prep and integration program for the family members so that they can learn how to support their loved one, that cost is $6,500. It is very affordable for what the program entails. My belief is that when we're treating deep-rooted traumas, this really does need to be a comprehensive program. We really need to support the individual forever. We can never not touch back in with this individual. And this is where I was seeing uh, the ball dropped with out-of-country for-profit retreat centers is the fact that they just had a couple calls before they arrived in another foreign country. And they had a couple calls out, out, you know, out of the retreat for their integration. And uh, people would fall off and, and a lot of times were worse off uh, because they weren't properly supported and were lacking community. And so that, that is our program. Um, that is our cost. And I can, truly, I can truly say that I have seen the light come back on in the eyes of our participants in real time instantly. I, I would say that a couple of the things that you mentioned there, the integration, the preparation and the integration, and then the, the lifelong support that you become a part of a cohort, which then is not just you become an ongoing recipient of services, it's you're transformed into a pay it forward part of the community. You then have your eyes open for others who need yes. it. And you can recognize someone who's got some of these experiences from a mile away. Yes. And then you bring them in. So there's that. And then the other piece is that cost to serve is the lowest cost to serve of any mental health model that I've heard of in mainstream medicine. <laughs> That's right. And that if I was a, a township or a, a, a budget holder anywhere in the country who was responsible for first responders, I would make this part of the benefits available to those who are, tra are traumatized. I wouldn't make it like a special situation for the deeply traumatized. Let's like optimize this population, you know? It's insane. Know. Okay. All right, listen, you're amazing. I'm, I um, want to thank you for this call because it's like starting this uh, conversation around Veterans Day off on the right foot. Oh, thank you, Christine. I want to back up a little bit and talk about the women's program that you just ran. I think a lot of time people think of veterans and they think of like uh, their old grandpas carrying flags and the Veterans Day parade with the Legion or something. And they don't think of like a 28-year-old woman who just came back from combat or even younger men, generally speaking. So can we talk a little bit about the, the women's group you just ran and what you see differently in, in female veterans? Yes, thank you. I'm going to have to sit again. <laughs> uh, uh, I know you're going to- We're learning. I, I We're know, practicing together. I know together. you're going to tell me to, so yes, I'm, I'm learning. Um, can you can you tell that I've been through my own thing? Yes, and, you're doing the work. I, I'll just like you're doing the work. I'm doing the work because you know when I when I did my first uh, medicine journey, it was 12 years ago, and I think that first experience of being able to look at something without the fear blocking me from looking at it and then integrating it. I mean, it had stuff that I was having nightmares about for years just vanish in a single day. So I definitely became an early proponent of what the heck is going on with these molecules and why was I told that this is your brain on drugs when in fact my brain on this particular drug just got healed? Like what sort of weird yeah. world was it where the most potent medicines were hidden? Well, there's no money in well. 
There's no money involved. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into our government overreach conversation later. Right. <laughs> For sure. Uh, okay, go ahead. So, yes, the, the women's program. I was so proud to be able to offer this to this community. You know, we've, we've had we've had a we had a female special forces army that came through um, a dominantly male uh, cohort uh, because she she didn't have any issue with that and just wanted wanted help immediately. And I didn't have a, a, an amount of women to put through their own uh, cohort yet. So I was really excited when I was able to bring 10 women together from around the country uh, to create a community for them so that they didn't have to continue to struggle through life alone. We uh, ran this program. Uh, you know, the program started about three months ago. We just ran uh, the in-person retreat for these 10 ladies. And, you know, some of them are, are friends of mine from the Austin Fire Department. And I, I have, I'm, I'm just truly humbled at their openness and their courage um, in stepping into the unknown. Uh, these these are women that most of them had zero experience with mind-altering substances, and some of them had very limited experience. And so I was really privileged to receive them into this program and to 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 help guide them through this journey. And so the one thing that really stood out to me. Or one of them, there was a few, but most of these women, actually all of the women, had experienced sexual trauma in their life. Some of these women experienced sexual trauma in the military. And as a as a man, I've never been knowledgeable about life in the military for for women. Uh, I was I was attached to an infantry battalion. In the Marine Corps, at that time, women were not in infantry uh, battalions, uh, so I, I wasn't savvy to it. You know, you you hear stories, but you just don't know just how often it, it occurs. And I was blown open just how open these women came in to this program. They were so vulnerable and just wanted to get this off their chest, and they felt so safe with their other nine women and, and my support staff that they didn't leave anything off the table. And I remember sitting on that first preparation call that we had and I'm like, holy shit. I mean, this is, this is deep, deep healing that's going to be happening for these ladies. And how amazing is it me as the divine masculine to help reframe their relationship with men instead of always having this relationship with, you know, seeing men as, the man who raped them or the man who assaulted them, but really helping to reframe the healthy relationship with the divine masculine. And uh, it was a great honor for me, um, to say the least. And they showed up after eight weeks of preparation. Everybody tapered off all their medications, all their pharmaceuticals. We were we were we put them on a microdosing protocol for the eight weeks leading up to uh, to ceremony. And they showed up and these women were ready to do the work. I always, I, I say this about everybody who walks through that door, but everybody I personally serve or, or I hold space for, or I create this container for, they're such great teachers for me. And I see part of my, I see part of myself in everybody, how they're showing up, what they're dealing with. I think a lot of people don't realize that women attempt, they suicide ideate more than men, mm. but they fail more than men at it because they choose less lethal methods. Right. Okay. And so the suicidal ideation among women and attempts is higher, particularly in veterans, but then, you know, they do pills and they survive and that makes sense. men use firearms. And so, you know, that that's also another thing that I was surprised by in preparing for the call. And, and the other piece of what, what you mentioned with the masculine and sexual abuse in the military, there's actually like a diagnosis now, military sexual trauma is a VA diagnosis, and that it's doubly bad when it comes from your superior. You know, then it's like, then it's now it's like authority, the people you've given your life to serve, the person you're supposed to trust, the person you're trusting your life with on every day. It becomes even more existential. Mm. So my ladies out there, you know, it's like I think one in three women and one in one in six men have sexual abuse in their lifetime. That is astonishing, Christine. It is right. It's astonishing. 
And like it's it it's it hits you in different ways at different ages. Like if it's preverbal, if you're a young child, if you're prepubescent, if you're, you know. But a lot of times it's progressive, and it kind of runs in families. You know, the the sort of vulnerability, the abuse runs in families, and so how do you both uh, teach people their own sovereignty and their own defense? And the only way that you can do that is to first go through what's already been accumulated. So even if you did this work with non-veteran women, I think you'd find a tremendous outcome for sexual reclaiming, reclamation, and joy. I agree. You know, one thing I like about the way you speak is you're going away from the persistently wounded to reigniting the light, the joy, the pleasure that is, that is your birthright. That because I I like some of the way you're the way you're speaking to that reverence. I think you said no. I I appreciate that. Yes. I mean, I I had a very strong awareness that it was okay for me not to be okay, and through through that awareness, I w- I've been able to start my journey, um, and not have shame associated with feeling a certain way or having nightmares or feeling angry. This work this work is sacred. These medicines are our birthright to use and to commune with. And I have a deeper relationship with God now than I've ever had in my life. And I, I have I have these these medicines and this wisdom to thank for that. Um, and I'm I, I truly am the best self that I've ever been. And I have it's such a phenomenal relationship with my children and my bride and myself. And I've been able to forgive my father for how I was raised and have empathy and love in my heart for him when I didn't even think that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so truly I had to have, I needed to want my life to be saved, but these medicines were absolutely the catalyst in that happening. Um, It's not a panacea. It's not like I don't have a down day ever again. It's not like I don't remember all the trauma that that happened, but I've been able to reframe that. And I've just been able to sit with the fact that that's just part of my story. It's not who I am. It's just part of my story. And it's allowed me to be present in the now instead of always being controlled by my past or wondering what tomorrow is going to bring. Well, this is beautiful testimony. Thank you. So thank you so much for what you've been doing over there. And listen, ladies, gentlemen, if you're listening, I want you to remember this is the end of the year, the end of the tax year. I want you to open up your whatever you use to pay and dig out $6,500 and send it to Heroic Path to Light. Okay, if that's too much for you, send whatever you can. But $6,500 is the cost to save one person's life. So let's save some lives out there and also spread the word that this uh, these medicines are healing agents, that there are a lot of protocols available uh, to begin to deal with whatever's stuck in your system and create a more peaceful, just, and joyful world for everyone. I want to say thank you. Is there anything you'd like to close with? I would uh, like to close with one thing uh, real quick. So- uh, starting in 2024, I'm opening up a, a civilian sister sanctuary um, for individuals that are not from the service communities to be able to find healing in this country. So I uh, just want to just to any listeners out there, if you or a loved one are, are struggling, if you need help, if you're looking for community, if you want to come volunteer for Heroic Path to Light, if you want to be involved in any way either as a participant or a supporter, please do reach out to me and my team and uh, we can work on making that happen. And I want to remind you guys, if you do make a donation to send the receipt into us at info at rosewoman.com and we'll provide you with a little goodie bag for women's care, intimate care, body care products and some legal psychoactive gummies from Radiant Farms. That's beautiful. So I uh, wish everyone a beautiful, beautiful day and full healing and complete presence in whoever you're encountering. Thank you so much, Justin. And to your team also, to Caitlin and Luke, who's on your board for being so amazing in uh, organizing this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Christine, for having me. Thank you so much for spending the time with Justin LaPree and with me today. I will make another poetic statement, you know, about there being quite enough 
in the unexpected fires that burn things to the ground or the hundred-year floods or the accidental deaths from slipping off of a cliff or from pestilence. There's enough that the cops and fire people and chaplains have to deal with. Uh, They see all of that stuff, the wailing parents, the blood and bones, the suddenness of life leaking out, car flipped over, whatever. Their systems go into high alert, and a few people have the skills to shake it off or to feel it and let it run through them or to pray it out, and many others numb it out through drugs and insufferability. And then these often desensitized bodies are walked home and laid down in the lap of their families, and always this is there. The predictable losses of human living and dying are dealt with in so many ritual ways, and we can take that. We can take some of it with ritual and community. We can make meaning out of it. And I'd love to share something from the Iroquois Confederacy on how they handle uh, grieving and death. Maybe I'll put that in a separate article and attach it to my – I'll do that. I'll put it on Instagram at the.rose.woman. But why, beloveds, are we still in this day and age conceiving of how to make more misery – more weapons, more ruthlessness, more disconnection from the promise of this beautiful planet. We are told stories of nation states and ideologies, and then those are backed with increasingly capacious weaponry, and it's never the scions of senators and uh, industrial leaders that go to war. It's the working class that is fodder, and those people come home forever changed, even if they can compartmentalize it. Many come home as you heard in Justin's story, with addictions and the inability to be normal with the normal given life in a body. Breath can help with that. Yoga can help with that. Plants can help with that. But the trauma of combat is the kind that steals lives, steals dreams, steals love, steals souls long after the actual war is over. And I'll tell you, as a mom, or really if any of you are mothers or fathers, you know how much love and food and hope and faith and wonder we pour into our beautiful sons and daughters. And don't you ever wonder how we can send that preciousness to war to kill other children of the light from some other part of the planet? But we do. And then if we're lucky enough that they come home, they're often undone. So at the very, very least, let us find a way to help these young men and women restore, return, re-enter and reset their body, brain, heart, mind, spirits, return to innocence, return to new beginnings. Uh, Consider supporting Heroic Path to Light and uh, come visit me at the.rose.woman. This podcast is uh, an effort for me to honor Veterans Day and also hope that there is no longer a need for there to be veterans that have seen combat ever again. So we are agents of being peace and we are agents of healing. And that is part of our own love and our own light and our own liberation. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman. This podcast is sponsored by Radiant Farms, which is the psychoactive gummy company uh, that makes beautiful legal plant-based supports for healing and health. And by Rosebud Woman, our beautiful body products uh, for for women, uh, intimate care and body care products uh, for your whole system. So if this uh, moved you, then please make a donation to Heroic Path to Light and please share it. All love, all love.